0: As we come now to the time of the study of God's word, let's turn to our passage this morning, which is going to be 1 Thessalonians 5:19 through 22. 1 Thessalonians 5:19 through 22. And as you get there, there are plenty of people who claim to speak on behalf of God, but are they trustworthy? And that's really a fundamental, important question, because we can't just take claims of such at face value, right? We can't just say, because someone gets up and says, I'm speaking from the scripture, or this is what God has said, we can't just trust them implicitly. Uh, We have to examine, because there are false teachers, right? There are false teachers who who preach and teach in contradiction to the scripture. Some do so out of selfish intent, right? They're trying to get something. Uh, normally they finish with an appeal that, of, of some sort of saying, and don't forget, uh, don't forget to give because, uh, because God will bless you for it. You know, something to that effect. And some, some preach and teach falsely out of their own ignorance. They don't know any better and they don't know that they don't know any better. Uh, Paul earlier in this very own letter, right, encouraged the Thessalonians to remember how he and the other missionaries were among them. When they spoke the word, he says in 1 Thessalonians 2, 3, For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. And he goes on there in chapter two to talk about how it wasn't from greed, right? Indeed, even uh, he says we didn't take anything from you, but rather we wanted to be with you like a mother with her child, like a like a nursing mother with her child, right? They, they loved the church dearly. So just because there are some who teach wrongly and with evil motives doesn't mean we should bear with cynicism and determine that everyone who stands to preach or teach is wrong. God does give the Spirit to His people, and He gives gifts of the Spirit, which include preaching and teaching. And To reject all teaching, therefore, is in some instances to reject the Holy Spirit. So then, we don't reject everything and everyone, we don't accept everything and everyone, but rather we test to discern the truth. And so today we come to our passage and we find that we are to follow the Spirit of God, keeping from every evil falsehood. So let's read our passage this, this day and see what the Scripture has to say for us. 1 Thessalonians 5, starting in verse 19. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. And this is the word of the Lord. Our passage today represents the last of kind of these instructive exhortations that Paul has for the church in Thessalonica. He's written to them because he's concerned about them, right? The missionaries were forced to leave because of persecution, and he understands that persecution is continuing, and he is concerned that they won't stand firm. He's concerned that maybe false teaching even will get in, and then they'll find that all their work there in Thessalonica was for naught. They were so concerned about the church that they indeed... Uh, sent timothy right paul said my the best gift i could give you aside from my own presence which i can't give you is that of my good ministry partner timothy and that they were willing paul and silas were willing to be left without as at a loss in order that they might stand firm And so he's concluding this letter of love, and he's given kind of these more general instructions. He's not dealing with specific problems within the church necessarily, but more general problems. And he writes to ensure that they understand the truth and keep from evil. So first we want to see this morning in verses 19 and 20 that we are to believe what comes from the Spirit. Believe what comes from the Spirit. Verse 19 says, do not quench the Spirit. And so, the first of our imperatives this morning, and that's what this is. It's an imperative. It's a command. And it's a negative command, right? A do not. Do not quench the spirit, or do not stop the spirit. And the word that Paul employs here, right? Quench. It's not about quenching our thirst. It's more about quenching a flame. Right? Paul uses this idea, this word that gives this idea of snuffing out a fire and uh, what he is saying then is don't put out the fire of the spirit in their midst and we know that the spirit is sometimes signified with fire we could go back for instance to the day of pentecost in acts chapter 2 verses 3 and 4 and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them and they were filled They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so Paul says here that there are ways that we stifle the Spirit's work, that we snuff out the Spirit's work. And he's going to give us one particular application of that in verse 20. We'll get there. But just more generally right now, we can think of snuffing out the Spirit as when we reject His works and when we neglect His works. So snuffing out the spirit, quenching the spirit, is when we reject his works and neglect his works. So let's look at verse 20 and let's see that one specific application he gives us immediately. He says, do not despise prophecy. So when we talk about rejecting his works, whenever we reject the works of the spirit, we are at work quenching the spirit. And Paul gives the example of despising or holding with contempt the prophetic word right when he says do not despise and again this is another imperative and it's a negative imperative right do not do not despise do not hold with contempt do not deride do not belittle prophecies when we reject and deride the word of god we are quenching the spirit now what are we to make of this word prophecies uh One meaning when we see this word, and, and this is probably the first thing that comes to mind, we think of foretelling the future, right? We're talking about something, a declaration about the future. Uh That's probably our first thought. And when we hear the word, right, prophet or prophecies, we think of someone like Isaiah or Jeremiah in the Old Testament. Or in the New Testament, we think of John, uh, who wrote the book of Revelation, right? The Apostle John, or John the Revelator, if you're real cool and hip with southern gospel music. There you go. That's one you can look up later. Uh, or not. Uh, maybe not. But we can think of those who right, speak something of the future judgment or blessing of God. We think of those who divine the future, and this is a usage of the word. However, prophecies are most simply declarations of God's word. So again, go to the prophets in the Old Testament and what do we often see them say? Thus says the Lord. Right? So they are speaking on behalf of God. The purpose of these prophetic utterances were to instruct the people in the ways of God. They were there to explain the law. And indeed, uh, what we often find Right, There are specific prophecies about the future, but what we often find intermingled with that is just general understandings of this is what happens when you disobey God's law. And where do we get the understanding of what happens when we disobey God's law? Well, we could go to the book of Deuteronomy. Moses gives us that, right? Moses, when he speaks the law, he says, these are the blessings and the curses that will come either if you obey God, you get the blessings, or if you disobey God, you get the curses, So the prophet is there to remind the people that God will bring judgment against those who disobey, and he will bless those who do obey. So when we come to this word then in 1 Thessalonians, what are we to make of it? What, What does this mean for the church in Thessalonica, and what does this mean for us today? I think it's best to understand it under this latter category, that it is a speaking of God's word. Uh, calvin explains it this way he describes this word this way as the science of interpreting scripture so what we're talking about with prophecy is not a divining of the future not a foretelling of the future but rather interpreting and understanding the scripture um, and bringing it into the context of today so to quench the spirit right so when he says do not quench the spirit we see that as a rejecting of his work, especially we see in the idea of the word of God, holding it with derision as it is being taught or preached. So Christian, you stifle the work of the Spirit in your own life when you reject the word of God. You may reject the word of God when you fail to listen and heed what it says. So how closely Do you attend yourselves to the word when it is being taught? How much effort do you put into understanding it and applying it to your life? And so we don't get too mired down and think that, rejecting the works of the Spirit is only in the context of preaching and teaching. right? That's not the only manifestation of the Spirit that we can despise. Any work of the Spirit, any spiritual gift may become an occasion to hold it in contempt. But it is especially so with the teaching and preaching of God's Word. And it's probably so Paul raises this issue right? because it's the most common. It's the most common way that we reject the work of the Spirit. We reject... The word of God, because we don't always like what the word of God has to say. And consequently, we don't always like the one who is speaking it. The word of God offends us. We know that well enough. Have you ever been offended by the word of God? Right. I can tell you that I have. I've been reading through and it feels like I've been slapped in the face. And I say, I don't really like this. I don't like what it has to say. Because sometimes what the word of God does, it says, right, it says that sin that you love is evil. It needs to be excised from your life. Or has God's word ever wounded your pride? Even right now as I speak, you may be tempted to tune out and let your mind mind drift to sweeter things. But that's your harm. So you can show your contempt of the word of God. You can despise prophecies by your lack of reception of it. Preachers and teachers of God's word show their contempt of it when they make much of their theatrics over the preaching of the word, when they offer their own prognostications over the preaching of the word, when they speak to tickle the ears of their audience over the preaching of the word. So it's not just those who receive the word, but even those who speak the word can can despise it. So don't quench the spirit. If the spirit is at God, the spirit of God is at work, encourage his work. And all this doesn't mean that we accept everything that anyone says that they say is from the word, right? I stated that at the outset. And we'll think a little bit more through that here in just a little bit. But I mentioned two ways in which we quench the spirit. We reject his work. So that's the kind of most immediate uh, and first thing, right? Despising prophecies, holding with contempt the spirit of God at work. The second thing is neglecting his works. We can quench the spirit when we neglect his works. So what do I mean by that? Right. Even in our thinking through verse 20 here, we can see how we can neglect the work of the spirit by despising prophecies because we can neglect to attend ourselves to the word of God. We can neglect times of teaching and preaching. Further, we can neglect those other spiritual gifts in their use. What are some of the other spiritual gifts? Romans twelve six through 8 tells us, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith. If service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy... With cheerfulness. So what spiritual gift do you have? Brothers and sisters in Christ. If you have the spirit of God dwelling in you. You have a spiritual gift. Given to you for the edification of the church. How are you using your spiritual gift to benefit the church? And in case you think I overstate that it is for the benefit of the church. First Corinthians 12 four to seven tells us now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. You are given a spiritual gift for the common good of your brothers and sisters in Christ Christ. And are you quenching the spirit by failing to use your spiritual gift? But thirdly, as we think through these uh, two imperatives, these two commands, if we say that the negative is to don't quench the spirit, let's adapt the metaphor and say it in a positive way. How do we fan into flames the spirit? How do we fan the flames of the Spirit? How do we make the Spirit, His power and presence, grow? In talking about the things we shouldn't do, it's also helpful to talk about the things we should do. So, 2 Timothy 1, 6-7. 2 Timothy 1, 6-7 says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not a fear, but a power and love and self-control. So Paul is writing this letter to his spiritual son, Timothy, and he says, Fan into flame the gift of God, and that gift is in specifically uh, preaching and teaching. We see that elsewhere. Um, that's part of what he's talking about. The gift that was given on through the laying of my hands. And we see that in further in verse eight of the same chapter. So, second Timothy one, eight. Paul goes on to say, therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So, what is Paul telling Timothy? He's saying, fan into flame the gift that is given you by your means of using it, even if that means that as you go, Timothy, and you boldly preach and you boldly teach the scripture, you end up sharing in the same suffering that I myself am suffering. So we fan the flames of the spirit when we use his gifts. We fan into flame the gift of God by its use, and we further stoke the flame of the Spirit when we allow other believers to use their spiritual gifts. The whole of the church is blessed when we each faithfully use our gifts. So contrary to much popular American Christianity, the church is not a come and see. The church is not a place where you have your needs catered to. The church is not about spectating. And in such cases, the spirit is quenched. He has to be, right? He has to be. If the spirit is quenched when we reject and neglect, then we, we must see in the members and in the churches around us burning embers. The church is the people of God gathered to express our love of God and love for one another. And we do that in no small part by using our spiritual gifts. We fan into the flame the gift that was given to you by God by your use of it. But what if you find yourself in this place of burning embers, right? That that, that would typify you. You say, I don't have the flame of the Spirit uh, blazing in my heart, blazing in my life. What if it seems that the Spirit of God is but smoking flax in your life and heart? And first and foremost, and it's the, it's the answer to so much, and the answer we often like to neglect, pray. And he, what did Paul just say a little bit? Earlier in our passage, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Pray. Jesus Himself instructs us to pray. Luke eleven eleven through thirteen. Luke eleven eleven through thirteen. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? What does Jesus say there, right? He says he uses the example of us, uh, uh, of us evil folk. He says, you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. Do you not think that your heavenly father who is good will not give good gifts? And what is what what is the thing that he mentions, right? What is the person that he mentions? The Holy Spirit. Because that's the best thing that Christ could have said there. That's the best thing that that God could offer. And so he says, the father will give you the Holy Spirit if you ask Pray to God that he would give you more of his Holy Spirit to his glory and for the good of his church. Pray to God asking that he would empower you to live in obedience to his word. Pray that God would help you see and understand what he has saved you for. Good works. Pray that you would have the spirit to put the death, the deeds of the body. You want to be done with sin? Pray for it. And pray this for one another. Pray this for me. Oh, what a church we would be if the Spirit were aflame among us. What glory would our God get in us who walk not by the flesh, but by the Spirit? So we ought to believe what comes from the Spirit. We ought to not hold in derision the work of the Spirit. We ought not reject it, nor neglect it. Especially the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. That's the example he gives, right? And we must also forego what comes from evil. So let's look at secondly this morning, in verses 21 through 22, forego what comes from evil. He says in verse 21, But test everything. Hold fast what is good. If verses 19 and 20 state the issue in a negative uh, a negative way, a negative context, right? By way of do not, do not do this. Then these next two verses give us the positive commands. Do this. We are not to make of the prior imperatives this idea of just accepting everything that is done by someone who calls themselves a Christian, right? There are plenty of people who go about saying, I am walking in the Spirit, I'm living in the Spirit, I'm a spiritual person, I do spiritual things, the Spirit of God is in me, and we cannot believe everything that they say. There are plenty of so-called churches that say that they are operating under the power of the Spirit, and I can tell you it's not the Spirit of God, it's the Spirit of the evil one, right? So we, we have to we know this by experience. Not everyone is trustworthy. Not everyone speaks the truth. And if we don't know it yet, we will learn it soon. Right, we will learn that lesson. And let us even think of this in the context of preaching and teaching. Right? That's the immediate context here, so let's derive the principle and then we can apply it more broadly. All preachers and teachers need to be tested to see if what they speak aligns with the word of God. John commends as much in his first letter. In 1 John 4, one, he says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. Right, when we see the word spirits there, when John says the word spirits, let's just think more simply people. Right. Don't believe every person, but test the people to see whether they're from God. Because there are false prophets, there are false preachers. There are those who speak not because they are burdened by the truth of God, but they speak because they are burdened by the evil of their sin. They speak because they are burdened by the evil one himself. The evil one who is, after all, the father of lies. As often as preaching is brought into disrepute by evil, This does not mean, however, that we hold it with contempt because worthless men speak worthless things under the guise of preaching. We ought rather test everything. There are some who know that there are untrustworthy pastors out there, and so they trust no pastor. They overcompensate by rejecting everything. And there are also some who think that just because someone gets up and says, God told me, or gives some such like claim to authority, that they believe everything that they say implicitly both extremes we are commanded to avoid here in this scripture right here in this passage first we're told to test everything examine everything when someone says that they speak for god we examine what they are saying and yes that includes me right now preaching your job is not to blindly believe everything that i say but you are to test it does what i say align with what the scripture says and listen that puts some work on you That puts work on you, because you need to know how to interpret the Scripture. You need to know how to handle the Word of God. And if you don't, speak with myself or Jack. We would love to to sit you down and, and teach you how to do that. We want you to know how to understand and study the Scripture for yourself. Uh, the best thing would be you wouldn't even need me to get up and preach the scripture because you could all just read the verse and understand it yourself, right? That's what our game, aim is, right? That's what our goal is. My goal is to make myself redundant. But this puts work on you. So to that one extreme of just accepting anything someone who seems to have spiritual authority says, he's he says here, he calls us here, right? But test Everything Test the spirits, as John says, test the people who stand to preach and teach. Hebrews 12, uh Hebrews 13, sorry, Hebrews 13, seven through nine says this. Hebrews 13, remember your leaders, those who have spoken the word to you, the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. The author of Hebrews says, consider the outcome of their way of life. So positively, what that means is that those who serve and lead well are worthy of imitation, right? Imitate their faith. But I think we can also see a negative there, right? A negative way to understand that is we steer clear of the bad. We steer clear of those who uh, hold to strange teachings, diverse teachings. So we test. We consider, right? That's what that word consider, right? Think about the outcome of their way of life. Test them, examine them, see if it's true. And second, in, in our verse here, right, verse 21, it says, hold fast what is good. So second, we are told to hold fast what is good. And this avoids that other extreme, right? We don't just reject everything because sometimes people speak falsely, right? Instead, we discern the good and we hold to it. We should remember faithful teaching. Indeed, that's the idea of this, this word, this phrase, hold fast. It's this idea of remember. Remember faithful teaching. Call to mind right doctrine. Possess proper preaching. To broaden the context of our discussion, right? Just out stepping back from just the issue of preaching and teaching, when we think about how we do not quench the Spirit, right? How we think about how we fan into flame the gift of the Spirit, we should also avoid the extremes of rejecting everything and accepting everything, right? We don't accept everything that is done within a church. Uh, and just say that, yes, it must be done with good intentions and for good ends. Even works of service can be turned to selfish ends. So we don't merely accept everything, but it doesn't mean we reject everything, right? We don't just reject it and say, well, I don't trust that church. I, you know, I'm just not going to trust the church because I've, I've been burned by churches before. We ought to hold to the good. We should celebrate the good. We should celebrate good works. We should offer thanksgiving to God for his grace in others. There's just one small example of that. I thank God for Alicia that she leads us in, in song. Because uh, I certainly couldn't play the piano. And you certainly wouldn't want me just to lead in singing without the piano. Okay? Ask Cynthia. She knows we do some a cappella at home. And it does not always work out well. Right? But thank God for, for his gifts and others. Offer thanksgiving to God. Let's hold to good doctrine. Let's hold to right teaching. Let's hold to good works. Let's fan into flame the Spirit by holding to those things we discern good. It's going to take a little work on our part, but it's what we need. We're called to it. And then the second part to this, right, in verse 22, it says, abstain from every form of evil or avoid every kind of evil. Again, the immediate context, preaching and teaching, we're called to avoid false doctrine. <clears throat> so when we examine something and we see that it is wrong, we don't hold to it, right? We don't, we don't remember it. We forget it. We put it to the side. We say, I want to stay far clear of that. And this is the natural consequence of testing everything, right? If we test something and find it good, we hold to it. If we test something and find it bad, we get rid of it. Uh, the same thing could be applied to eggs, right? If you test your egg, you, you know, you put it in the glass of water, although dyslexia of mind, I always get it backwards. I'm not sure if it's, I don't think you want it to float. Floating is bad. Look it up on the internet. They'll give you right directions, right? But if you test an egg and you find it bad, you don't want to crack it open and make an omelet with it. Unless you're a weirdo. And if you're a weirdo, stop it. All right? But, but we test, we hold to what is good, and we reject or avoid what is bad. If we find a thing evil, we don't hold on to it, right? But what about those things that are doubtful? What if we test something and we're just not sure? What if we hear something, we look in the scriptures, and we're just, it's not clear? Because there are times when it is clear, right? When it is black and white. When someone says Christ Jesus wasn't the son of God, we know the scripture says Christ Jesus is the son of God. We know to reject that uh, wholesale. Right. But what if it's something doubtful? What if it's something we don't know? Uh, we're unsure about. Uh, maybe we're unsure about the motive of the one teaching and preaching it. It calls for further examination, right? It calls for us to be like the Bereans in the book of Acts. We pick our, up our scripture daily and we examine it to see if it's true or not. We, as much as we can, try to examine the person who's preaching and teaching. Uh, let us apply it not just to preaching and teaching, however, let us apply it to every sphere. Because there are works that we abstain from that that are bad we need to abstain from these things in every matter of the church we abstain from every kind of evil so even in the doubtful things sometimes maybe what what our answer to that question is we just abstain from it uh and that word there too right abstain isn't as strong as say reject it maybe we're just unsure so we just set it to the side until we have more time to see to examine uh, to have more time, as it says in Hebrews 13, right? To consider the outcome of their way of life. Sometimes with especially, uh, so this is a broader principle here. As we think of somebody who is teaching and preaching and we see that they have a a system, a way of looking at the scripture, right? A, a systematic theology, a biblical theology, a way of looking at the scripture, a paradigm for interpreting the scripture, right? I'm using kind of high-minded theological language here. But understand this right there. There are ways that we can look at the scripture. One of the things we need to do is consider the outcome of those ways. Because while we may not, uh, may not realize, uh, if we take it to their logical conclusions, we find that it's, it, it breaks. It ends in evil. So we're, we have to be careful of those things. Uh, and we have to examine those things. And sometimes we just have to abstain from those things until we see what is the outcome? Um, uh, ministries and ministers that suddenly have a meteoric, meteoric rise in popularity, we need to wait with. Um, if you have the opportunity, it's, 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 uh, you have to go into it with a right listening mind, but there's a podcast about the rise and fall of Mars Hill Church and um, with Mark Driscoll. And at the time, everybody loved him. And thought that he was really the next big thing, but as you see it come apart, as it falls very quickly, you begin to see the outcome of his the way of his life. Uh, even now he is a pastor in another church, and uh, the same issues that were there at Mars Hill are the same issues in this new church, and it should be a warning sign, right? A red flag. So we abstain from that evil, right? So sometimes we need to just sit with things and. Uh, Play the long game, not the short game, uh, to use a metaphor there for you. Uh, but let us, in every matter of the church, abstain from what is evil, whatever form it takes. And churches have done this in, in throughout the ages in varying ways. And so perhaps this is why our spiritual forebears told us to avoid things that to us now mm-hmm. seem silly. So what I mean by that, the prohibition, no dancing, right? We can kind of snicker and say no dancing, although that was true even as I was growing up in the church I grew up in, uh, the context I grew up in that was still very strong, no dancing. Or how about maybe even sillier to us, no rock and roll music, no syncopated rhythm, right? Or going really ancient, right? So if we go really back far to the, to the early church, no acting. No either being an actor yourself or no going and watching acting, like theaters, plays. There is sometimes an absurdity in the avoidance of such things, right? So let's take the prohibition against dancing. We see dancing in the scripture. What are we to make of that? Is that a good or a bad thing? Is what David did in worship before the Ark of the Covenant coming into Jerusalem was that evil? He was dancing there's some very uh, traditional Baptists that might say it was right so there's an absurdency to, to the absurdity to the avoidance of some evils, but also don't neglect the wisdom of abstaining from unnecessary things that tend to evil right there's a reason why. Some churches said no dancing because they understood the context to it. And let me go ahead and tell you, if you're going out to the clubs today uh, to, to dance, I'd say avoid it because it is evil. There is evil being wrought there, right? The purpose of it is not let's just go and have a good time. The purpose of it is let's engage often to the end, to the extreme of sexual immorality. So maybe we don't mock such things, there is wisdom in such things, so maybe we should be better served today by heeding some of these silly abstentions. Right? Abstain from every form of evil. It's a small thing to sacrifice an unnecessary thing for the benefit of my soul and for the souls of others. Let's let's let that be our guiding principle there. But Paul here in, in our passage instructs the church not to snuff out the fire of the spirit. He especially shows how this may be in the context of preaching and teaching. And so, brother or sister in Christ this morning, do you reject and neglect the work of the Spirit? Do you quench Him in your life? Surely we don't accept everything without discerning whether it is good or evil. Surely we don't reject everything just because some have abused it. We walk the line of discerning the truth of God in the works of God. And I would ask more positively, how are you flaming, uh, fanning into flame, the Spirit of God in your heart? How are you living in greater dependence on the power of the Spirit in your life? For some of you, you need to see how the Spirit has gifted you and be faithful to use that gift for the common good. God has gifted you, brother or sister in Christ. He has gifted you with a spiritual gift how are you going to use it for the edification, for the building up of his church? It's not a question of if you should. It's a matter of how you should, when you will. Church is not a means for you to fill yourself. Our gathering as a church is the means by which we serve one another. For some of you, you need to better attend to the word of God. And you may not go as far as scoffing the teacher of God's word, but you might as well if being after being taught, you ignore and forget it. You need to go to the scripture and you need to increase your understanding of it and your obedience to it. Uh, so some practical ways we do that. We take notes. We go and read the scripture passage. Uh, you know that, for instance, I'm just saying for us We're going through the book of 1 Thessalonians. You know what the next verses are. This is not a mystery that I'm keeping from you. Go and read it. Study it on your own. Next week, uh, we're going to look at 23 and 24, God willing. Go and read it and study it. Learn more about it than I learn about it. Come and instruct me about it. That that would be uh, a good thing. So go to the scripture. Increase your understanding of it. Increase your obedience to it. For all of us, we need to pray that God would fill us with his spirit, that we would be bold in our witness, that we would put to death the deeds of the body, that we would show our love for one another more and more, and that we would serve one another. We need to pray this for one another, not just pray for ourselves. We should pray that for ourselves, but we should also pray for one another. Yeah, we'll we'll skip ahead spoilers here. Verse 1 Thessalonians 5, 25. Brothers, pray for us. Paul says, brothers, pray for us. Brothers and sisters in Christ, pray for one another. Pray that we each would be filled with the spirit of God. But there are those without the spirit. And if you've not trusted in Christ as your savior, you don't have the spirit of God in you. You have not trusted in Christ. And so Paul's. Paul's commands here don't apply to you in the ways that I've mentioned. Indeed, in your case, what is happening in verses 21 and 22 what Paul commands, right? Hold fast what is good and abstain from what is evil. You actually do the opposite. You abstain from what is good and you hold fast to what is evil. You may not consider it that way, but it is the truth. The scripture is clear that all mankind is corrupted by sin. Sin is all that is opposed to God in thought and word and deed. And you are subject to the domain of sin. You are dead in your sins and trespasses. And what remains for you is just punishment of your sin. God will require the payment of every evil that you have done. But Christ Jesus came. And he lived the perfect life that you could not. And he died a death to pay for his people's sins. And he rose victorious from the grave to the defeat of sin and death. And now stands at the right hand of the Father, interceding for his people, waiting for the day when he will return and gather his people. And if you believe in Christ Jesus as the Son of God, if you confess your sin and repent of it, turn from it, God will save you. You will be forgiven of your sins, and you will be given the Holy Spirit as the guarantee of the inheritance of your glory to come. You will have the Spirit, and you will be able to fan it into a flame that will fell the works of the evil one. So repent of your sins. Trust in Christ. Believe in Him and be saved. Then walk in the Spirit. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, forgive us. Forgive us for quenching the Spirit. Father, forgive us for for rejecting and neglecting His works. Father, forgive us for failing to live out that which You are working in us. And God, we thank You that You continue to work in us. God, we thank You that You have given us Your Spirit in Christ Jesus. That You are working in us are conforming to the image of Christ, He who walked always in the Spirit, He who fanned into flame the Spirit. And Father, we pray that we would be filled with Your Spirit to the full measure, that we would live out that which You have called us to. Father, that we would use our spiritual gifts to build up the body of Christ for Your glory and for our good. And Father, we pray that what happens in here, what happens in, within us would spill over, out into this community that is dead in their sins and trespasses, this community that is under the sway of the evil one, this community that is being built up into a kingdom of darkness. Father, we pray that you would give us the spirit to beat it back, to tear it down and to build up your kingdom. Father, that you would give us the sword of the Spirit, which is your word, to cut to the joints, to the marrow, to the soul and the spirit, as even your word does, that we would expose the works of evil and further those good works which you have called us to. And Father, we pray for those who do not know you, even those in our midst. Father, have mercy on them and give of them of your spirit. Call them unto Christ Jesus. Draw them to him. Father, that they would confess their sin. Repent and believe in Christ. O Father, we thank you for the answer to these, our prayers. We pray in the name of Christ Jesus, your Son, our Savior and Lord. Amen.